0: you <laughs> Hey, this is Kimberly, and welcome back to the Naked Security Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, Rachel Toback, and she is a social engineer expert. She's an ethical hacker, and she was one of our speakers. If you joined the Sophos Customer Evolve event, you might have heard her give her talk on social engineering um, and hacking the human. Uh, Now, Rachel, welcome.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Kim.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your talk that you just did?
1: So my talk is all about demonstrating social engineering. So I have multiple demos within there of me live hacking to give you a sense of how I would hack you and what you can do about it. So we talk not just about how I would hack you, but specifically how you can think about your threat model and what you can do to stop attackers like me in the act.
0: That's awesome. So I saw that you hacked a CNN reporter, a (laughs) CNN tech reporter, and I found that so fascinating. And it was just, I shouldn't say just, because obviously there's a lot of work involved and a lot of thought process that goes into what you do. But it sounds like uh, from what I saw, it was a matter of phone calls, a matter of tweets that you combed through, geotagging information. Do you find that, um, that most of the information for social engineering is as simple and I'm using air quotes around simple as that?
1: Yeah, honestly, yes. Um, about 60% of the information that I need to be able to take over somebody's accounts is found on Instagram alone. So wow. that's that's just my personal stat. That might not that might be different from somebody else. They might find that Twitter is a better resource for them. But um, in general, about 60% of the information I need to hack somebody is found on Instagram alone. Twitter is also very useful, but it depends, of course, on my target. Some people tweet less. But if Mm -hmm. you're tweeting or Instagramming and you're geotagging and you're talking about services and companies you use, then I know who to contact and pretend to be as you. I shouldn't assume that our audience knows exactly what social engineering is. Although if
0: you are a regular reader of Naked Mm -hmm. Security or a regular listener, you've probably heard us mention social engineering many times in the past. But uh, Rachel, what is social engineering to you?
1: to me social engineering is some sort of human element manipulation the the part of security that we're manipulating here is all about people so the information that people share the things that people do or the or the things that they say we try and manipulate those things so we can use them for gain that could be you know, malicious gain things like stealing money, gaining access to your accounts, siphoning out your points, putting you in the middle seat uh, on an airplane. (laughs) Which is
0: what, if you didn't understand that reference, that is a reference back to the CNN uh, tech reporter who uh, he openly asked for you to hack it. You didn't do it without his permission. Exactly. Um, But yeah, you put him in a middle seat in the back of the plane and you stole all
1: his hotel points. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um so yeah we can we can do it for malicious gain but you know we also use social engineering or principles of persuasion for convincing children to eat their vegetables or haggling sure. for a used car so i mean if you've ever tried to get something at a lower price in a market you've probably used social engineering too
0: yeah, it's really, at the end of the day, it's just taking um, advantage of, I guess, like uh, certain social behaviors, social clues, uh, and uh, context. That's so fascinating. Well, important question here. Did you ever give the
1: man back his points or are you still hoarding them? <laughs> Part of the contract was I had to return everything, unfortunately, for me. <laughs> um, but yes, he got everything back. There were a few things, and we put this in the contract, that it's possible that you know he gave me consent to attack things um as much as I wanted to, knowing full well that sometimes companies don't have a reverse or exit button, right? right. Um, and so that was part of our contract. I would never go into it telling him, you can absolutely get everything back because that's simply <laughs> I can't promise that, right? So. Right. Um, there were a few things that are not in the video uh, that we didn't include there were Ooh. many I, I hacked 10 plus of his accounts and I think you only get to see three of them in that video wow but um yeah there were a few of them that, that weren't able to do that that emergency exit reverse button later and that's you know some companies just have have challenges with that. But he knew that going into it. (laughs) He knew it was possible. We, like I said before, at Naked Security report
0: oftentimes about data breaches, ransomware attacks, very targeted attacks. And unfortunately, it sounds like the first step in that attack has come through some sort of, Social engineering uh, play, whether that's a phishing email or a phone call. If you, uh, for anybody who's listening, Rachel, what is the first step an organization should think of when they're thinking about trying to prevent these kinds of social engineering tactics from working in their org?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, we know that the majority of cyber attacks start with some sort of human element. So It could be something like phishing, an email attack, uh, phone attacks like vishing, SMS, Mm -hmm. or somebody just um, giving their credentials out on a credential harvesting website, not realizing that it's inauthentic, using their password in multiple places. Of course, there's so many different ways things can go wrong. But I would say the most important thing that an organization can think through is how they are being politely paranoid. That's a phrase that I use to describe yeah. how they confirm people are who they say they are before giving access to money, data, or systems. So we can't just tell people, listen, don't wire people money. It's not safe. Because people in finance, that's their <laughs> like, job, right? Do they this. do that every day.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: So we can't just do that. Instead, we have to kind of shift away from the don't click anything, don't download attachments, don't wire money. It's like, How am I supposed to do my job? I'm going to get fired if I don't do any of those things. It's literally required. Instead, move towards being politely paranoid, which is that phrase that I use to describe using two methods of communication to confirm people are who they say they are. So if we imagine, let's say, somebody, very common, right? Somebody, an attacker is trying to get money from us at our organization. They send us an invoice and they just hope that we pay it. That's common. A lot of times people will just hope that we pay their invoices even though they're not authentic and they can find the people that we work with to emulate those. I talk about in my talk how that happened to Barbara Corcoran, but can we imagine if the person in finance calls up the organization and says, hey, quick question about that invoice. They're going to say, we didn't actually send you an invoice yesterday. It sounds like you're being scammed. Or what if we have more communication like on Slack, Signal, Chat, anything a second Mm -hmm. form of communication to just confirm between the EA and the executive that that thing doesn't indeed need to be done um, before we go ahead and and wire over that $500,000. That's just one example of how we can be politely paranoid, but I hope that companies can take a closer look at their protocols and think through how they can make them more politely paranoid inherently. That's what my talk's all about. I love that. Politely paranoid, I think, is great advice.
0: And I think I've been maybe uh, not so politely paranoid uh, ever ever since working in cybersecurity for the last decade. But Barbara Corcoran, so you bring up Barbara Corcoran. And if you don't know who she is, uh, listeners, she is one of the millionaires on Shark Tank here in the United States. And I personally am a huge fan of Shark Tank. But when I heard that story, I was like, man. This is just another example of how this can happen to anybody. Think mm-hmm. about the, all the resources that Barbara Corcoran has, the manpower, the obviously the intellect, and it still happened to her. Mm-hmm. so the uh, crazy scenario uh, I want to... Go back to you as a person. Now, we're talking a lot about social engineering. You know a lot about social engineering. How did you get into this? Uh, Are you just, uh, where you're like, you know what? I've developed a particular set of skills for (laughs) cyber stalking and figuring out. Specific set of skills. (laughs) As (laughs) Liam Mason would say.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, No, I have a very non linear path to InfoSec. I think many people know you can't really major in social engineering or hacking in school. (laughs) Not yet. Not not yet anyway. Um, Hopefully, if you're listening to this in 10 years, that sounds ridiculous. Right. But um, right now, it's kind of hard to do. So I actually have a degree in neuroscience and behaviorism. Amazing. So my background is – I mean, I, I worked in a rat lab. Uh, doing behavioral studies, slicing open rat brains, doing rat surgery. Wow. So my background is very odd. I think coming into Infosec, but that's common. There, it, there's not one super direct path. It's um, true. And I also have a background in performing improv. So I used ah. to do that on Friday and Sunday <laughs> nights. <laughs> okay,
0: um, I'm going to nerd out a bit because I also am very familiar with improv. Where yay. have you studied, or you know, what's your what's your school?
1: yeah yeah it's it's tiny um it's it's in um it's called lila in san francisco that's where i got my start are you familiar oh, i don't know lila but
0: uh but i i know improv the improv scene is very good in yeah. san francisco obviously you have uh, san francisco sketch fest oh, yeah. um and lots of great acts up there so that's awesome
1: yeah yeah we don't have all the big ones but we got some <laughs> smaller ones which are fun um so I got my start there, kind of, you know, performing, getting a sense of improv. And I, I've been doing improv since I was a kid. I was in musical theater. I was a total nerd yes, growing up. theater nerd, um, yes. Yes, total theater nerd. So I kind of had this sense of I know how to improvise on the on the fly, and that's a huge part of social engineering. That because is. Because especially if you're hacking live over the phone, you need to be able to pivot on a dime. You know, somebody says, oh, wait, what? what did you say there? And you have like an opportunity to total, totally switch yeah. what you need to be doing in the moment. Um, so that that really helped solidify my interest in getting started, which is I got started in the social engineering capture the flag at DEF CON, where they put you in a glass booth in front of an audience of 500 people and you have to hack a company live over the phone in front of that audience. So That's incredible. Yeah, I ended up getting second place three years in a row. Very That's consistent. Right. Um, and <laughs> that is it just felt natural to me. You know, it's I'm, it's instead of improv, it's just I'm hacking now uh, in front of an audience. So it wasn't so, I mean, it was scary, but it wasn't so foreign to me to do something like that. Right.
0: Um. We had... So on a previous episode, uh, what my co-host Doug, he had come across some Airbnb listing uh, that seemed too good to be true. Like $200 a night, like beautiful ski house and gigantic. And of course, the only way – I don't think it was on Airbnb. I think it was on one of these other sites. But apparently the only way you could book is if you called (laughs) – just already sketchy and he's yeah, I like know about that. <laughs> yeah he was like i uh yeah i already knew that this was uh getting into sketchy territory but i was like you know what let me look into it so he calls and he says on the podcast a few episodes ago that he was convinced he woke someone up in the middle mm-hmm. of the night that this was someone around the world potentially in like russia or maybe like uh uh the eastern european block and <laughs> and Yeah, by phone. And this person was, you know, trying to, uh, I guess, have a conversation. But it's funny to think that 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 is essentially he essentially talked to someone who was going to potentially use some sort of social engineering tactic live Mm. over the phone to convince you to give this person your credit card details and other PII, um, which is I sometimes am baffled that people still fall for these, but also it seems
1: like the crooks are getting better at it. Yeah. I would say um, there's a necessity for criminals to do a better job. Under COVID conditions, we know many people have lost their jobs, right? We have to assume some of those people are people who had legitimate jobs and also dabbled in some crime particularly maybe cybercrime, and maybe they lost their legitimate job. So now they have to get better at cybercrime. Um, under COVID-19, we've seen more social engineering. We know from risk ID's research um, in March that w- there were 300,000 plus new suspicious COVID-19 websites in March alone. So wow. um, it's it's increasing, right? And And people need the money. So I would say it's kind of like a forcing function for criminals to get better at what they do and study up on how the greats do it, which is really the sim swapping pros out there. The people who are actually also behind the Twitter hack. So they don't necessarily need to be folks who are Uh, who have been in the hacking world for many, many years. We know some of those folks were 17 years old. Others were also minors. Um, But a lot of these attackers are young, and um, they do it for cred. They organize online, and they do a lot of their attacking through some sort of customer support over the phone, and they're starting to get good at it, which is why I speak so commonly about how we can avoid falling for these types of attackers and how we can update our authentication protocols so that we're not in the dark ages of phone call authentication. Because when I was hacking Doni, I was able to gain access to his accounts with his name, email address, address, phone number, and birthday. Can you imagine if you could log into your bank account with your email address and your birthday? Wow. No way, right? But that's how it is for these accounts and their authentication and verification over the phone. So we have a long way to go with phone call authentication. And that's kind of what I'm really excited about.
0: Why do you think that people fall for social engineering tricks? You know, I guess uh, me trying to uh, tune into your neuroscience background is there a scientific, social, psychological reason that we we fall for these
1: tricks so easily? Absolutely. I mean, we as human beings want to be helpful, especially if it's a requirement for our job, like oh, in customer support. So yeah. we're going after people whose job it is to be helpful. They get fired if they don't meet their metrics on helpfulness, right? Oh, yeah. And so we in, we di- we disincentivize sometimes people having good security posture because we're not arming people with the tools that they need or the protocols that they need to verify people appropriately. And so Because of that, we leave our human systems vulnerable to the principles of persuasion that work on anybody with an intact nervous system. That's a neuroscientist's way of describing how we can manipulate a system. So we know from studies, if you have an intact nervous system, you can be persuaded. If, and, <laughs> and if you can be persuaded to do something, then we can use principles of persuasion to convince you to do something that's not in your best interest. And we can read about these things in Robert Cialdini's book, *Influence* where he talks about the six principles of persuasion. Um, hopefully you can put that in the show notes, Kim. Yeah, I'll um, do that in the
0: show notes for sure.
1: Thank you. Uh, so we have different principles of persuasion, like reciprocity, social proof, which is actually what my company is named after, Social Proof Security, because I love that one so much, where we do things like name dropping. You know, Kim, if if you and Chris are best friends, and I know this from your Instagram because you always post screenshots of you two talking on Zoom, eating dinner <laughs> together, Well, then. Who who am I going to name drop when I'm pretending to be IT support and I'm calling you to update your machine? I'm going to say, hey, I just talked to Chris. It took two minutes. Hopefully, I can get you updated. And so these little principles of persuasion when used together in concert can convince people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. All this being said, you are a social engineer. You're an
0: ethical hacker. and uh, But how did you ultimately get into it? I know you had mentioned your background in neuroscience and, and improv, but what there's obviously many steps that probably happened between that and then capturing the
1: flag at DEF CON. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> so um, my husband is in cybersecurity. I never was. Oh. And many years ago, he was like, hey, I think you need to come to Vegas. He was telling me that he was going to Vegas for this conference, and I was like, eh. "It was DefCon, right?" But right. I was like, eh, "I don't think I, I don't think that really fits me. I don't think I need to go." And he got there, and he saw many years ago people in a glass booth in front of an audience, and he's like, "I think you'd get a kick out of this." And then, as he saw the competitors competing, he was like. I don't think you just get a kick out of this. I think you should compete. Amazing. I think you should buy a ticket out tonight to Vegas. And so I did. Um, oh I bought a ticket God. out that Friday night. And if you know anything about DEF CON, DEF CON's well underway, you know, Friday, Saturday. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. almost done at that point, right? So I got there kind of late and I ended up seeing two social engineering calls that next day on Saturday. And I was hooked. I was like, this is 100% me. It uses all of my background from improv um, to neuroscience, behaviorism, persuasion, all my studies over the years. And I'm, I want to try it. So I ended up self teaching for about a year, reading every book I could by Christopher Hadnagy, who wrote all the books basically on social engineering, reading the framework on social engineer.org, and calling up my. Um, my service providers. And, you know, it's not illegal to call service providers as yourself without enough information <laughs> to authenticate as yourself, right. to get a sense of um, what do they use? What are their protocols? What kind of flags can I get just calling as me, but not giving enough information to be me, right? And so, yeah, so I, I did all that, prepared, talked to some really cool experts in the field who helped me understand how pretexting worked. Um, like Chris Silvers and Snow. They were really helpful. And Mm -hmm. then got in the booth my first year and ended up getting second. I was shocked. Honestly, I had no idea that that would happen. And then I got second the next year and second the next year after that. And then people (laughs) were like, "Um, can you do this for my company? And I was like, sure. So I started slowly but surely giving talks and uh, pen tests and, and now it's grown and now I have 50 plus clients. This is – I'm
0: finding this entire conversation so fascinating. When you're not social engineering, when you're not reading about persuasion and uh, (laughs) all these uh, great, uh,
1: I guess, brain hacks, what are you doing for fun? Oh, my gosh. I'm such – honestly, it's like embarrassing to say that's also what I do for fun. So I'm just going to put that aside for a second. You know what? We all Um, have that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's embarrassing. Um Outside of that, I like to play games. So every week I play uh, this game called Blood on the Clock Tower with my friends. Oh. It's a social deduction game. Uh-oh. So you have to figure out, yeah, see, that's what i do want to play that against
0: like, you. I know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying is it's like, it's like the same kind of thing except for I'm not hacking someone. I'm just playing a game. So it's kind of embarrassing that they're all in the same realm. But it's a really fun game. I highly recommend looking into it if you're into hacking or social engineering, but you want something that's not like technical, you can just have fun with your friends and play over Zoom under COVID conditions Oh, fantastic! Um, or, or whatever your, your uh, video chat of choice. And then um, I have a dog and I love to teach him new tricks and oh. I love animals. So I will go anywhere I can, like a farm or nature. I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area. So there's a lot of really cool oh, nature spots around me. Yeah.
0: You're just surrounded by it. Yeah. That is awesome. Another question I like to ask is: um, I often, when I talk to other professionals, and I'm like, "Hey, you know, you have a very admirable career. You've done a lot. Has there ever been a person that you that you think back upon, or is still in your life, that you're like, you know, what? I really would love to give credit to this person for helping me." Take one step further. It sounds like your husband obviously was oh, yeah. a huge push in that direction. Is there anybody else, or uh, that you feel as though helped you get to where you are today?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the first person is my husband, Evan Tobak, who I wouldn't even be in cybersecurity. I'd still be maybe working in a rat lab somewhere, <laughs> um, potentially, <laughs> uh, because I just didn't, I simply did not see myself as. Um, fitting there. You know, if you don't have representation and you don't see folks that potentially look like you, you might not realize that 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 is an option for you. Yeah. Um, And so he is definitely the most influential person. And then we have Chris Hadnagy who took a chance on me without much experience, put me in the glass booth and allowed me to try it year after year. We have Chris Silvers who sat on the phone with me my first year and helped me understand how to come up with a pretext and avoid negating the frame and all the things and all the tactics we use in social engineering. And then Snow gave me examples of how pretexting works. I mean, all of these folks have been so, so helpful for me uh, as I learn What I need to learn, and then now I'm dabbling in election security, learning how it works, um, understanding the principles behind it. I I would consider myself a student, not an expert, um, but learning from people like Matt Blaze or Mackie McAlpine. All of these folks, I I I wouldn't be anywhere without without their teachings and without their support and patience while I learn.
0: Amazing.
1: Okay, you've talked, you've
0: mentioned this term pretexting. I'm not familiar with that, so I'm going to take a guess that maybe our audience isn't either. Can you give a little bit of background on what on what pretexting is?
1: Yeah. A pretext is who we're pretending to be when we're ah. hacking. So um, you can think of it like a disguise, but you know, if I'm not hacking you in person, I don't need to wear a wig. So right. it's more like, who am I? You know, What's my background story? Who are the coworkers that I work with? Um, what are my likes and dislikes? What would you commiserate with me about? I have to know pretty much everything about the identity I'm taking on. Awesome. And then say someone
0: is listening right now, and they're like, you know what? I think I might be good at being a social engineering expert as well. What what skills do you look for? Obviously, you own your own company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, what,
1: what, what are the skill sets that yeah. you look for? Yeah. I would say start with the social-engineer.org framework where you can get a sense of how hacking works and the pretexting and principles of persuasion. And then from there... What would be really cool is to get a sense of how are you able to persuade somebody. If you don't have the information that you need to verify yourself, how are you able to convince that person that you are, who you say you are? Try it with your own service providers and see how far you get. Uh, And then if you feel like you have that skill set and you enjoy it, try getting a sense of how phishing works over email too um, and start writing those things up. There's many blogs where you can learn about that and YouTube videos as well. From there, if you feel like, wow, I really like this, and I'd recommend you try out the social engineering capture the flag. Hopefully, we are all in person next year at DEF CON, and I think if you can do that, you're probably going to love social engineering. It's not for everyone, but if you like it and you want to continue, then that's probably a good place to start. Do you
0: have any last advice for our listeners who are now politely paranoid and want to become more politely paranoid for their own IT team, their own internal teams, et cetera?
1: Oh, totally. I would say the first thing is to do an inventory and understanding of the protocols in place on your customer-facing teams. So these are going to be folks like customer support, help desk, um, even so far as things like recruiters are also customer-facing, right? And we have to think about hiring managers, too. So how do they verify people are who they say they are? If those protocols aren't in place, talk with an expert and get a sense of how you can update that. To be more secure. And then we have to have technical tools to back us up. We cannot just rely on humans to be perfect because as we know, humans are fallible. That's part of life. We can't expect perfection out of human beings. But we can expect perfection out of computer systems, especially with some that are layered on top of each other. Mm-hmm. So things like using a password manager um, eliminates you using your password in more than one place, which allows me to find those passwords in a breach and then in turn breach you. Um, so a password manager will also help you make sure that you, if you go to a f- you know fake malicious URL, you're password manager is going to say, this isn't right. It's not going to input your credentials and I can't steal them. If you layer that with multi-factor authentication, even if all of that fails and you make a mistake, yeah, I still don't have the code and I'd have to fish that out of you too. And if I'm using a program to hack a hundred thousand people in a breach that I find online, I'm going to move on from you. And so If you can layer all of those together, updating your people processes and protocols, being politely paranoid, using technical tools to back you up, I just named a few, but there's many more, you will be able to keep your teams much, much safer. And it's going to take a lot of time. Um, You know, this education is ongoing and a lot of folks kind of think it's kind of one and done, but we know that communication needs to happen at least quarterly. Let people know what are the most common attacks we're seeing right now, especially under COVID. You know, the reason why Twitter Mm -hmm. was hacked is because people were commiserating online about how the VPN was tough to work with. Uh That's public information, right? When people are complaining about it. And so attackers use that information and leverage it against the teams. Get a sense of what's public about you out there so that you can prepare your teams to spot fishers. That's fantastic. And I think that's great advice on an individual level. Like
0: say you aren't a part of a big company and it's just you and you want to prevent yourself from being socially engineered, uh, and hacked. We have said this many a time on naked security, please for the love of everything that's good, use a password manager, Mm -hmm. use strong passwords, always turn on 2FA whenever possible, unique passwords for every single account that you own. Because if, uh, Uh, you know, one breach happens to one of your accounts, it won't affect the rest of your accounts in terms of uh, having that one key to the entire kingdom. So spread out your keys, have different keys uh, for all over the kingdom. Rachel, this has been such a fun talk. I hope you have enjoyed joining us for this very special episode. How can our audience follow you?
1: Thanks, Kim. They can follow me on Twitter at Rachel Toback, R-A-C-H-E-L-T-O-B-A-C. And I'll make sure to drop that in the show notes
0: as well so you can easily find her on social media. And uh, until next time, stay secure.